Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Hey, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11, I titled, Don't Eat That. And uh, so there's, uh, you know, it's interesting. So there's all these things that you can't eat, but actually there's more things that you can eat, or at least what the Jews could eat. So it's not like a, like a, you can only eat this, this, and this. There's a lot that you could eat, but there were certain things that God didn't want the children of Israel to eat. And we'll be looking at that this morning. Leviticus chapter 11. <clears throat> now, just a little bit of an introduction here. The last 10 chapters that we've been looking at really were instructions for Aaron and the sons of Aaron, the high priests, having to deal with worship, how God wanted to be worshipped. And we looked at that. How does God want to be worshipped? We, we went through all that. Uh, and we get to chapter 11. So the first, chap first 10 chapters deal with the priesthood. The next chapter, chapter 11, deals with the people. It's for the people, how to live their everyday lives. And specifically, as a Jewish person under the Old Covenant, what you could eat. And you say, why does God care about that? You know, God cares about even the most minute details in your and my life. I mean, he cares enough to put a bird in a rock so that Tim could discover it and look at it and bring it and show it to the kids. I mean, the Lord cares about everything, every detail of our lives. So interestingly, um, chapter 11, what we'll be looking at this morning, deals with what goes in the body. What goes in the body, what you eat. Chapter 12, which we won't get to today, is, deals with what is produced from the body. That's kind of whet your appetite and maybe <laughs> digging into that. And then chapter 13 deals with what's produced upon the body. So that's kind of interesting. So in this next chapter, we're going to be eating about, or eating. <laughs> <laughs> I have some bats for everybody here. No. Um, what is clean to eat and what is unclean? And now it doesn't necessarily imply hygiene, although I think there's an aspect to that. But it's what you can and cannot eat under the Old Testament. Okay, this is for the Jewish people. This is an instruction under the Old Covenant. By the way, this concept, you know, we're reading this and the Lord's telling uh, Moses and Aaron to reveal this to the Jews. This concept of clean and unclean, it's not new news for the Jews. Because back in chapter 7 of Genesis, at Noah's flood, the Lord God told Noah, he says, you shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. So this is not new news for the Jewish people. They already have an understanding of what is clean and unclean. God had revealed that uh, to, uh, you know, maybe even Adam and Eve, who knows, all the way back there. Well, let's look at this. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. 
Nevertheless, you shall not eat among those that chew the cud or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. So the criteria here for these land animals, these mammals, um, the criteria was basically how do they eat and how do they walk? It's kind of an interesting thing. Why is the why does God giving them uh, th these dietary restrictions? Well, for a few reasons. One is distinction, I believe, distinction. They would be peculiar to the pagan nations around them who ate just about anything, I'm guessing, uh, and it would make it harder for the children of Israel to assimilate with the pagans. You know, they wouldn't go to a pagan feast because the pagans are eating pig or whatever, you know. So it's like, well, we can't do that. And so it would, it would help them, actually, to stay separate from the pagan nation because that's what God didn't want them to do. God did not want them to to adopt the habits and the, and the culture and the religious aspects of the pagan nation. So one reason would be distinction, to make them peculiar. You know, the Bible says you and I are peculiar people. You might look at me and go, yeah, you are strange and you are peculiar, but we all are actually. Um, I look around the room, I see a lot of strange, peculiar believers. <laughs> Another reason is protection. Protection, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but that was for the preservation of the Hebrew race. And, and you know, God knows what he's talking about. Um, Abraham had no, or excuse me, uh, Moses had no idea what E. coli was. You know, he didn't know about the bubonic plague. He didn't know about all these things, bacteria and all that stuff. But God, who created the earth, <laughs> knows all about it. And so he's just, hey, just take my word for it. Don't eat these things. It was a warning, so, but it was a, for healthy reasons. We'll look at a part, portion of that anyways. So it's for protection, distinction, protection, and I also think for preparation. What do I mean by preparation? Well, they would learn how to bridle their appetites because they could probably look at pork. They could smell it maybe, you know, right at the, if they're at the border of the Philistines, you know, they, there's, wow, that smells, I mean, I love bacon, you know, smells really good over there, you know. It would be tempting and it would seem harmless, but God is trying to teach his people how to bridle their appetites for things that seem harmless and appetizing in preparation for staying away from things that are that are sinfully, you know, they're sinful temptations that are not harmless. You know, it's an interesting thing in the life of the believer. You know, sometimes, you know, I've seen people and, you know, I've struggled with things too. You just, you just, you know, you just give in to your flesh sometimes. It, it, but sometimes we need, just need to learn to say no to our flesh. And as we learn to say no, we, we learn that kind of, we start to develop self-control in our character. It's an important thing in the life of a believer. Paul even talks about that in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 25 through 27. He says, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. 
Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know, it's a thing that's a good thing for believers to learn as to how to say no to their flesh. It's a very good thing to learn, to develop in your, in your life. So knowing what of the land animals to eat, it's pretty simple. There's two criteria to judge by. And there's two criteria, not one or the other. And that's what the Lord God is talking about. There are many animals that chew the cud. And he gives some examples. The camel chews the cud. The rock hyrax, which we don't really 100% know what it is, but it could quite possibly be a rock badger. I heard the thing that it might be an extinct, like, bunny without ears. I don't know. I don't, I've never known of a bunny without ears, but maybe they deserve to be extinct. I don't know. But anyways, uh, so it could be the, the rock badger or the hare, which is a type of a rabbit, of course. They chew the cud, but they don't have cloven hooves. And then he gives an example. Some have cloven hooves. The swine has cloven hooves but it doesn't chew the cud. So it's not like one or the other, you know, as long as you're 50% there, it's okay. It's both requirements. You know, sometimes as believers, we try to compromise by finding some good quality in something that we kind of know we should be really staying away from. But you know what? Hey, there's, you know, at least there's this aspect. And so we, 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 we tend to, uh, you know, do that. Relationships is one example relationships. Um, you know, we might have this attitude, hey, he or she, depending on if you're a male or a female, they're really nice. They're moral. They even go to church and it's a great, that's good that they go to church. But the question is, are they a believer in Jesus Christ? And if there's, if, yeah, if they go to church, that's fine. But do they have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if they don't, don't touch that carcass. <laughs> Stay away from that carcass, man. It's dead. <laughs> it's unclean to you, you know. Um, or they might say, you know, he or she says they're a believer in Jesus Christ. Again, great. But does that reflect in their, in their walk? Is there a truth? Can you see that? Are they in fellowship or in the word? You know, sometimes we, we take things and we go, well, you know, like, like a movie. Well, you know, it's got a, a little bit of cussing in it, you know, so it's, it's okay. No, it's, it's not okay. We need, to, we need to be so discerning and careful about that stuff. So I came across this statement, and it's from an old commentary, but referring to chewing the cud, it says, animals which do not chew the cud convert their food less perfectly. Their flesh is therefore unwholesome. Now, I don't know if that's true. I'm not a, I don't know animal husbandry or animal science or anything, but that's a statement I came across. And then I came across this uh, in a very old commentary. This guy is uh, quoting this code of health uh, by a guy named Whitlaw, but it says, in the case of animals with parted hooves, and this is old English too, so you gotta bear with me. In the case of animals with parted hooves, when feeding in, an unf in unfavorable situations, a prodigious amount of figged matter is discharged and passes off between the toes, while animals with undivided hooves feeding on the same ground become severely affected in the legs from the poisonous plants among the pasture. So I guess like if you're standing in stuff, you're going to get contaminated and the cloven hooves tend to kind of, I don't know if it wicks it away, I don't know. Anyways, I thought those were kind of interesting. 
Well, both Matthew Henry, he's, a, he's, a, he's an old commentator also. He's not alive. I mean, he's old. I mean, like 1800s type old, or maybe even earlier than that. Um, but there's a guy that's not quite as old, John Corson. He's a Calvary Chapel, or was a Calvary Chapel pastor out in Oregon. Um, they both say this. They both say that chewing the cud is very similar to the process of meditating on the Word of God. So I don't know if you know about chewing the cud. But you know, an animal, they've got, I don't know, like a cow's got what, like seven stomachs or something? And, and, and how many? Four. Okay, okay. Seven sounded like a better number because it's biblical, but okay, four, four. <laughs> they got four stomachs. You know, and they, they eat the food and, it, and they, it comes back up and they chew it some more and it goes back down, it's up and down and up and down. And they're getting the maximum nutrients out of that food. The Hebrew word for chewing the cud is Allah, not Allah like the Muslims say, but Allah. The word meditate is haga. So it's very similar in the Hebrew. And that word haga is the, really means rumination. And that's where we get the rumen, that, you know, the rumen, it's, it's all related. So it's definitely a picture of what you and I do when we're processing the word of God. When we're, when we're doing a Bible study, like we so Tuesday nights, the guys come out, we're reading, we're reading through scripture, we're doing some observations, some interpretation, some application, we're just digging in, we're really, you know, we're just, we're taking our time through the word of God, we're ruminating, we're, we're meditating on the, we're actually chewing the cud spiritually in a spiritual sense. So there is an application in there that that word divided hoof, it's a primitive word, a primitive root, it means to break in pieces without violence usually, means to split and to distribute. So if you think about that, first of all, the chewing the cud, spiritually we could say, well, it's like meditating in the Word of God, just, just digging in and pulling out all the nutrients we can out of the Word of God. Dividing the hoof, how you walk, is I would say it's also a picture of walking in discernment. Knowing how to divide. Hey, I shouldn't go over here. I should go stay here. You're walking in discernment. The writer of Hebrews was was writing to uh, the people, the Hebrews that he was writing to, and uh, he's getting into some really deep stuff. And he starts talking about Melchizedek, and and he and he and he's looking at some really deep spiritual stuff about Melchizedek, and then he stops. And in chapter 5, verse 12, it says, For by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Do you walk in discernment? Do you, do you live by the word of God? Hey, God says I shouldn't be doing this, so maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Or God says I should be doing this, maybe I should be doing that. Are you a student of the word of God? And as a result, do you walk with discernment? In the case of the camel, the rock hyrex and the hare, there's a picture of people there who can quote scripture I mean, they chew the cud, they, they're, they're ruminating, they're meditating, they, 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 they know all the Bible stories, but their walk doesn't reflect it. They lack discernment. They, they can give all the Bible answers because they've been to church so much and they know, you know, they grew up, maybe they grew up in church, they can, they can quote the verses and everything, but their life doesn't reflect it. They're not walking in discernment. In the case of the swine, it's got a cloven hoof. It's, it's like a picture of a person who's, who's doesn't lack discernment. They're walking morally. They're doing all the right thing. They're living upright moral lives. They're good people. 
but they're not students of the Word of God. They're not digging into the Word of God. You, you can't have one or the other. It's both. It's both for you and I as a believer anyways. Either situation is not good. We need both qualities. So that's talking about the land animals. Now, the Lord God's going to talk about the marine life. Chapter 11, verse 9. These you may eat of all that are in the water. Whatever in the water has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, that you may eat. But all in the seas or in the rivers that do not have fins and scales, all that move in the water or any living thing which is in the water, they are an abomination to you. They shall be an abomination to you. You shall not eat their flesh, but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination. Whatever in the water does not have fins or scales, that shall be an abomination to you. Again, really easy to discern what kind of fish or what kind of animal marine life that you can eat. There's two qualifications. Does it have scales and does it have fins? You might say, well, why those two qualifications? Well, for one thing, and again, I'm not a marine biologist, but fins, I think, limits it to fish, right? I don't know that shellfish have fins or you know crustaceans I don't maybe they do I don't know I don't think they have fins so I think it limits it to uh, fish why just fish you know it's interesting mollusks I just learned this yesterday mollusks during the summer months and the warmer temperatures they have higher levels of bacteria you have to be careful when you're eating mollusks and some shellfish have iodine and uh, the, the iodine, if, if you have a reaction to it, it can actually kill you. So there's some selfish shellfish by the seashore that Sally sells that you know you can <laughs> that you're supposed to stay away from. <laughs> so fins is one qualification. Another one is scales. And have you ever had a fish? You got to scale the fish. I hate scaling fish. My wife usually does the cleaning. I catch them, she cleans them, I eat them. That's it works out. We've got a great symbiotic relationship there. <laughs> Scales. What's that? Who catches them? She catches them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so one time I had this guy. I just go off a little story here. One time we, we Teresa and I and, and our kids, we went with uh, real good friends of ours out in California, and we went to Lake Don Pedro to catch, catch go fishing. And we had all the kids in his boat. It's always better to have a friend that has a boat than you on your own boat because then he does all the maintenance and everything. Well, anyways, we had a friend with a boat. And uh, so we all went. We had, I don't know, they had four kids. We had four kids. So there was eight kids and four adults in this boat. And the kids, there's the little kids, you know, they're making all kinds of racket. And we're fishing and we're fishing. We're not catching anything. So at one point, the, the, my friend's wife says, you know what, how about if I take the kids, we'll just bring us off to the shore, and you guys, and Teresa loves fishing, you guys can just go fishing. Sure enough, man, once we got the kids off the boat, you know, making all that racket, we started catching fish. Well, <laughs> Teresa started catching fish. And my friend's like the expert. He was telling me all that, you, oh, you got to use this bait, you got to do it this way, oh, you're doing that wrong. He's telling me all this stuff, and he's not catching any fish either. And Teresa's just reeling him in. After a while, he's like looking at her like, what are you using? <laughs> I don't know. But anyways, yes, Teresa catches fish and cleans them, and I eat them. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Keeping me humble. <laughs> All right. Anyways, that wasn't supposed to happen. but Okay, so scales. 
Scales, well, you know, scales actually provide protection for fish. It's, you know, if you think about the old coat of mail, or coat, yeah, the uh, coat of mail that the, 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 the knight would wear in medieval days, you know, and um, it's like that. It's like a coat of mail. It's a, it provides a flexible protection against predators, against injuries, and interesting also against parasites. It protects them against parasites. And one other reason that I think scales, that God created scales, I believe is best illustrated with a story. You guys like stories? I like stories. At the turn of the century, codfish were much in demand on the East Coast. News of the tasty fish quickly spread across the country all the way to the West Coast. There was, a, however, a problem. How could they get the codfish across the country and still keep it fresh? They tried to freeze the fish and send it by rail. That was the fastest means at that time. But when it was prepared, it turned out to be very mushy and lack flavor. Then someone decided to ship the fish live, turning railroad cars into huge saltwater aquariums. When the codfish arrived, they were alive, but they were, when they were prepared, they were still mushy and tasteless. After studying the codfish, someone discovered that their natural enemy was the catfish. This time, when the codfish were put in the tanks, they placed a few catfish in with them. Those catfish chased the codfish all the way across the country to the west coast. This time, when the codfish were prepared, they were flaky and had the same flavor as they did when they were caught fresh and prepared on the east coast. You see, the catfish kept the cod from becoming stale. You know, there's, there's a lot of biblical applications we can pull out of that. But listen, the fish tasted better. They were more fresh. They were healthy when they were swimming, when they were moving in those tanks rather than just sitting there laying around. Um, fish and even scales, I learned again, serve, in the fish, serve the fish in the area of hydrodynamics. Let me explain that. The position of the scales on the fish, it reduces water friction and, uh, and it reduces that resistance to forward motion. Scales actually help a fish swim through the water. Of course, fins do too. Now, I don't know how many, how many of you guys like catfish. Any catfish people love catfish? Right, there are a few of you. Okay. In my opinion, catfish tastes like the mud that it's laying in. I mean, I just, I just, I just, I taste mud when I eat catfish. I mean, I guess if you prepare it well, you can make it make it taste good. But I don't really like catfish that much. I love cod, by the way. What's the application? Well, you know, it's interesting. We're talking about sea life in the water. And whenever I think about the water, I always think about the Bible, the Word of God. And so here's an application. You guys can, I don't know, think whatever you want about it. But are you a bottom dweller laying there in the mud, in the water, just not moving? Or are you swimming through the water like a fish with scales and fins? You might go, what, what do you mean by that? Listen. When I'm talking with someone, it's obvious when they're not active in the Word of God. To me, it's obvious when they're not acting in the Word of God. Their conversation is spiritually stale, it's mushy, it's muddy, and it's flavorless. It's also obvious when I'm talking with someone, and I'm not talking to just, hi, how are you doing today? But when we're having a discussion about life or what things are going on in their lives, it's also obvious when someone that I'm talking to is active in the Word. Because their conversation is spiritually fresh. It's full of flavor with fresh insights that they're getting from the Word of God that the Lord's showing them. It's obvious when they're moving through the Word of God, is in other words, is what I'm saying. 
And it's also obvious when someone's just laying there in the mud. They're not, they're not, they, yeah, they read maybe two weeks ago. And now, that, now they're trying to bring up something stale. Well, you know, two weeks ago, the Lord showed this to me. Oh, that's awesome. It doesn't feel fresh. It doesn't sound fresh. I love it when someone's sharing what me. Look, look what the Lord showed me today. This is awesome. So are we moving through the Word of God? So there's an application, I guess, we can pull out of that. All right, birds. They didn't mention pheasant here, but they mentioned something that we're supposed to stay away from. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 13. And these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the kite, and the falcon after its kind, every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, the hawk after its kind, the little owl, the fisher owl, and the screech owl, and the white owl, the jackdaw, and the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron after its kind, the hoopoe, whatever that is, and the bat. Um, so now Moses is not given a criteria. He's actually told specific species to avoid. And I was looking at these, well, what's common about these things? Well, I think what's common about them seems to be that they're either scavengers or they're predatory birds, either one or the other. I, you know, being a scavenger, if you've seen what some of the birds eat, you know, that might be a good reason to avoid eating them because of what their, what their diet is. Um, you know, here's another short story. I was in the Coast Guard. Most of you maybe probably already know that. And uh, for three years, I was up on Lake Superior. Um, in my job, I was an electrician for the aids to navigation team. So the western half of Lake Superior, all the lighthouses and the light structures and everything, I was responsible for as the electrician. So I got into this team and just moved out there, you know, from where I was stationed before in Oregon. And, and uh, it was this one time in the spring, like, or it was in the fall. A lot of the lights, now they're solar powered. But, but back then, they were just, they had actually a, a, a bank of batteries. And so every spring and fall, you'd have to go out there and change this bank of batteries. And so it was time to change the bank of batteries. I had just gotten out there, you know, new from, new from this, this is my new duty station, so I don't know anything that's going on. We get out to what's called Gull Island, which is one of the Apostle Islands on the Apostle Lakeshore. And uh, we get to it, it's a really shallow, it's like about three acres or so, really shallow. And as we're getting, we have to, so we can't go up to it in a regular boat. We have to go up to it in a skiff. So there's like three of us and we're in a skiff and we're, you know, flat bottom boat. We're just getting up there. And as we're getting closer, the guys are pulling out uh, raincoats. And I'm, I, I'm looking up, I go, there's not even a cloud in the sky. They go, trust me, put one on. So we get to this island and it was covered with seagulls. And of course, as soon as humankind steps on the island, all those seagulls that were nesting, now they're all up in the air. And it was like Pearl Harbor all over again. I mean, I tell you, I'm like, I was so thankful for a raincoat because it was disgusting. Um, I wouldn't have to be told not to eat a seagull. I've seen what seagulls eat, and they are—they might look pretty on paintings, and they're—you they're, know—you can write nice little stories or poems about seagulls. They are gross birds. I would never eat one. So I, this would be like, okay, Lord, thank you for telling me not to eat an, a seagull. Well, I need to pull some kind of application out of here, and I'm not trying to just pull an application, but you know, I was thinking about this: eagles. Eagles are one of the largest, strongest, swiftest, fierce. 
and most rapacious. Um, they are they are very violent. If you watch how they when they get their bird when they get their prey, I mean they just they attack their prey. Um, and then we have this what is in the New King Jer James version uh, uh, translated vulture. Um, that's in uh, what verse thirteen, the eagle and the vulture. That word vulture in the in the uh, King James version is ossifrage. And uh, here's the definition. Probably again, people don't really know. Probably the species of eagle anciently called osafraga or bone breaker. So again, it gives you an idea of these things. You know, the bone breaker sounds like a wrestler's name, doesn't it? Bone breaker. Oh, I'm the bone breaker. Um, <clears throat> listen, predators. You think about predators. They are cruel. They are vicious. They're violent. Scavengers, they're, they're out for themselves. They're very vicious too. Um, and like the raven, they feed on dead animals and they're depicted in the Bible as evil in the Bible. So where's there any kind of application? Let me ask you this. Could your nickname be the bone crusher? You know, nobody better cross you because if you do, if they do, they're, gonna, they're in trouble. Paul talks about that. Ephesians 4, 31, 32, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Are you a person that, you know, you just have no control over your temper, and if, it, if it, you get crossed, it's like, that's it, and you just, you go from zero to 180, and you're just like, you know, you lose control? Are you the bone crusher? Don't be the bone crusher. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving, even as God in Christ forgave you. So those are the birds that they're supposed to stay away from, not to eat. Now we get to insects, and it's particularly flying insects. Verse 20. All flying insects that creep in all fours shall be an abomination to you. Yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours, those which have jointed legs above their feet with which to keep on the earth, uh, to leap on the earth, excuse me. These <clears throat> you may eat, the locust after its kind, the destroying locust after its kind, the cricket after its kind, and the grasshopper after its kind. But all other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. I'm sure most of you are like, man, what a relief. Um, listen, John the Baptist, he ate locusts and wild honey, right? We read that in the, in the New Testament. Um, yeah. You know, and I can imagine somebody saying it tastes just like chicken. Don't you hate that when people say that? That's the grossest thing. Go, oh, it tastes like chicken. I'm like, okay, I'll stick with the chicken. You can eat what that tastes like chicken. I'll eat chicken. So what's an application? Well, just stay away from what? From creeps, okay? Just stay away from creeps and don't be one. <laughs> I love this. I love this, uh, this commentary here. Uh, Jameson Fawcett Brown. <coughs> Speaking about locusts, nothing short of a scientific description could convey more accurately the nature of the locust after its kind. They were allowed as lawful food to the Israelites, and they are eaten by the Arabs, who fry them in olive oil. When sprinkled with salt, dried and smoked and fried, they are said to taste not unlike red herrings. Well, for me, that's a red herring because I won't eat them anyways, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
Waiting for you English people to catch on. Okay. It's a red herring. All right. Okay. Verse 24. By these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. You guys look like you're getting sick. Okay, can you change the slide? There, is that better? Okay, all right, all right, okay. We'll keep reading, though. The carcass of any animal which divides the foot but is not cloven-hooved or does not chew the cut is unclean to you. Everyone who touches it shall be unclean to you. And whatever goes on its paws among all kinds of animals that go on all fours, those are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries any such carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening is unclean to you. So now this is not talking about slaughtered animals as they're, you know, butchers cutting, you know, but you dead animals roadkill. You're, you're not to eat them. You're not even to touch them. This is definitely for protection. The bubonic plague. It was believed to be the cause of the black death that swept through Asia, Europe, and Africa in the 14th century and killed an estimated 50 million people. And prevention of the bubonic plague is through public health measures such as not handling dead animals in areas where plague is common. So God's law to Moses, to the children of Israel, not to touch dead animals. Don't touch the carcasses of dead animals. And if you do, wash yourselves and wash your clothes. That would protect the Jewish people from plagues like the bubonic plague. Now, during the bubonic plague, according to history, sadly, the Jewish people, you know, they observed these, these laws of Moses. And so they had strict hygiene. Uh, you know, they, they washed them. They didn't touch the dead carcass. And if they did, they washed themselves. They, they stayed away from that. And as a result, during the bubonic plague, the Jewish people didn't suffer from the bubonic plague to a large, maybe even a complete extent. I'm not really sure. But history tells us that a lot of the other people groups that were, their families were dying, they were blaming the Jews because none of them were dying. It's like they caused it. They did something. Sadly enough, they were persecuted because of that. But God was protecting them. All right, here's another thing for you hungry people. Verse 29, These also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth, the mole, the mouse, and the large lizard after its kind, the gecko and the monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. So I, I hate to, does that change your lunch plans today? I mean, I'm sorry if I did, but you know. Hey, stay away from creeps, whatever creeps, okay? Verse 32, anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it is any item of wood or clothing or skin or sack, whatever item is it is in which any work is done, it must be put in water. And it shall be unclean until evening, and then it shall be clean. Any earthen vessel into which any of them falls, you shall break, and whatever is in it shall be unclean. In such a vessel, any edible food upon which water falls becomes unclean, and any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean. And everything on which a part of any such carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether it is in an oven or a cooking stove, it shall be broken down, for they are unclean and shall be unclean to you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern in which there is plenty of water shall be clean. But whatever touches any such carcass becomes unclean. 
And if a part of any such carcass falls on any planting seed which is to be sown, it remains clean. But if water is put on the seed, and if part of any such carcass falls on it, it becomes unclean to you. And if any animal which you eat may, which you may eat dies, he who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. He who eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. He also who carries its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Notice that's a repetitive phrase there, being unclean until evening. It's talking about ceremonial uncleanness, not sin. It's not talking about sin. There's no sacrifice that's needed for ceremonial uncleanness. It was just a state of ceremonial purity, or in this case, impurity, that needed to be addressed. But it does remind me of the Lord's Prayer. When the Lord told us to pray daily, confessing our sins daily and not leaving them unaddressed. So, you know, deal with things as they come up. So for the Jewish person, they would be unclean until evening. Why evening? Well, the evening was the start of the new Jewish day for the Jewish calendar. It was, it was the start of the Jewish day. So they were unclean that day. The start of the next day, it was clean again. You know, that reminds me too. It reminds me too. It reminds me of Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love that verse. I love that verse because I fail. And at times I'm like, Lord, I really blew it today. Would you please forgive me? And I know when I confess my sins, he's faithful. He's just. He'll forgive me. He'll cleanse me. And, his, and then I can start a new day fresh with the Lord. A new day, a new morning. His mercies are new every morning. Uh, that's, I love that verse. Well, what are we talking about in these verses that we've been dealing with, these last ones? There's an overall principle that was being developed in these last verses, and the principle is this, defilement by contact. What do I mean by that? Pure things become contaminated when they come in contact with polluted things. But polluted things do not become unpolluted when they come in, come in contact with pure things. I'll give you a real, real example for you, for you parents of small children. If you have a sick child, you don't bring them to church and let them play in the nursery with all the healthy kids because, you know, if they're around enough healthy kids, maybe it'll rub off on them. They'll get healthy. Hopefully none of your parents are doing that, okay? Don't, don't, don't bring your sick kids to the nursery. In fact, just the opposite is going to happen, right? We know that. In fact, that's why we say if your children are really sick, please don't bring them, don't bring them to church. All the healthy kids are now going to be exposed to your sick, sick kid, and good chances are they're going to get sick too. See, defilement comes by contact. It's not, not the other way around. Purity doesn't come by contact, but defilement does. Paul wrote this, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. We need to be careful who we hang around with. Now, we're in, we're, we're in the world, okay? So we have Christian or unsaved friends. I have a, a guy that's been working at my house. He's definitely not a believer, but you know what? We're, we, we interact with him. He's a, he's a nice guy. Again, one of those criteria. He's a nice guy, but he, he's not a believer. So we interact with people, okay? We're in the world. We're not to be, like, isolated. I can't talk to any unbelievers or anything like that. But we need to be careful with who we hang around with, who we get our counsel from, who we fellowship with on a regular basis. We need to be careful because defilement 
happens by contact. We have to be careful what we touch and what we come in contact with so that we're not defiled. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. In his law he chews the cud. He meditates on God's word day and night. Now what's interesting in these last verses I read was verse 36 seems to be some sort of exception to defilement by contact. Verse 36, Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern in which there is plenty of water shall be clean, but whatever touches any such carcass becomes unclean. So a mouse, a dead mouse falls into your cistern or your spring. Uh, because of the amount of water or because it's flowing, the water doesn't become contaminating. Now, you still have to get the dead mouse out of your water if you have a cistern in your So whoever touches it, they're unclean, okay? But the water itself is not. Why? Because it's such a large water uh, body of water. You know, I was thinking about that, and it's very interesting. In the book of Zechariah, there's a Messianic prophecy. At the end of the tribulation, when Israel recognizes Jesus Christ as their Messiah, in Zechariah 13, verse 1, it says, In that day... A fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. A fountain of flowing water. Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4 verse 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So that verse 36, I think it's a picture of Jesus. I think it is. You may think, you know, I'm too great of a sinner to come to Christ. Or I've just blown it too many times. I've done, I've done such a bad thing. I, I can't come to the Lord. Listen, your sin is not going to affect him. Your sin is not going to affect him. You go to Jesus Christ. In fact, that's the only way that you can be cleansed from your sin is if you come to, by faith to him. There's no other way. So don't, don't stay away from him. If you've done something you're really ashamed of, you're just, you just feel you know, terrible, go to him. He can handle it. He can cleanse you. Verse 41. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth shall be an abomination. It shall not be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly, whatever goes on all fours, or whatever has many feet among all creeping things that creep on the earth, these you shall not eat, for they are an abomination. You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled again by them. Again, not a problem for me. <laughs> uh, now, other than pork and shellfish, some shellfish, I don't like everything, but I could abide by these dietary restrictions, couldn't you? No problemo for me. Um, you know, the left, the, the little picture on the left there, it's the uh, centipede, right? You guys ever get those in your house? Our new house, man, we get them all the time. And we found out that we've got a bunch of spiders in our basement. We don't now. We've, we've sealed up some stuff. We don't have that issue near as bad as we did. But when we first moved in, there was all those guys crawling all over the place. And I hate those things. So I was looking for a picture because I'm like, that's one thing I wouldn't eat. Um, and I was looking for a picture, and I came across this website. And the website's like, don't kill those centipedes. 
they're there to eat spiders and they eat harmful pests, bugs and insects. They're great to have in your house. And, I'm, and, and I love what this person, so somebody put this in this article and there was a comment on this article and it says, yeah, that's a great article. I'm still going to kill them. <laughs> and that's my attitude too. I, I'm, I, I'm glad that they kill spiders, but I'm, I'm going to kill them too. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not a Hindu, so it's not like my uncle or anything like that. And they're dead, man. I don't care. All right. There's probably a group, you know, a, a, a per society for the protection of centipedes out there, I guess, SPC or something like that. All right, verse 44, for I am, now, you know, here's the reason why the dietary restrictions, the Lord said it from his, from his own mouth here. Verse 44, for I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth, for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the water and every creature that creeps on the earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean and between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. You'll notice... You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's repeated. In fact, it's repeated six times in one way or another in the Old Testament. It's obviously important to God to be separate. That's what holy means, to be separated unto the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 7, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. 1 Peter 1 verses 13 through 15 therefore gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance but as he who called you is holy you must also be holy in all your conduct God wants you and I to live holy lives separate to him 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Plenty of scriptures about not being unholy, but being holy, being set apart for the Lord. Well, how do we be holy? Verse 44, I am the Lord your God. Verse 45, I am the Lord who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. It was because they had a relationship with him. That's how you and I be holy is by our relationship with God. I want to be holy because my God wants me to be like him and he is holy. So that should be my desire. So how do we do that? Well, going back through what we looked at this morning, I want to meditate on God's word. I want to understand what the will of the Lord is. And the only way you're going to understand that and understand the heart of the Lord is by digging into his word. So I want to meditate on God's word. I want to walk with discernment. In other words, I read this thing and I go, okay, well, that's nice, but then I'm going to do my own thing anyway. No, no, no. I'm going to do what the Lord says. I'm going to be obedient to what his word reveals to me. 
I want to actively move through God's word. I mean, I want him to re- reveal things fresh to me day in and out. I never get, I never, I've never reached a point where I go, I read a passage or a story and go, oh, wow, I've, I don't know anything. I mean, I know it all. I don't need to read it. The Lord's always revealing something to me, whether it's a new truth or it's a new application of that truth to me. So I always want to be actively moving through God's word. I want to be kind and tenderhearted because my God is kind and tenderhearted. He extends grace to me more than, well, that's what grace is. It's undeserved merit. And I tell you what, he extends grace to me so many times. It would be wrong for me to not be gracious to people around me because he's so gracious. I want to be like my Lord. He's a gracious God. So I want to be like him. I don't want to be a bone crusher or Nacho Libre. (laughs) I want to keep short accounts with the Lord. I sin, you sin, we all sin. (laughs) We don't need ice cream though. Okay, no, sorry. (laughs) I want to keep short accounts with the Lord. Don't hang on to unforgiven sin. If the Lord's revealing something, deal with it. Deal with it, whatever it is. Keep short accounts with the Lord. And then I want to be careful that I don't become defiled by sin. I need to watch out what I am involved with, what I do, what I contact. So finally, lest we think we, uh, we would be more spiritual if we stopped eating bacon. So there's that's not a command for you. You know, like tonight, we're not going to go to Nathan's. I don't think they have Nathan. Well, I know they don't have Nathan's hot dogs out here. It's out in the New York. It's kosher hot dogs. Um, Nathan's hot dogs. So like we're going to go eat at some kosher restaurant like Schlotzky's Deli or something instead of Red Lobster. We can't eat lobster anymore. You know, don't 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 think you're going to be more spiritual if you start stop eating bacon and if you start following these dietary laws. These were they were unclean to you. And Jesus or the Lord was talking to the Jewish people under the old covenant. Remember Peter on the rooftop in Joppa? It's recorded in the book of Acts. He has this vision. He's hungry. He's waiting for dinner, and he's praying while he's up there, spiritual guy. And as he's praying, he goes into this trance, and this sheet comes in this trance. The sheet comes down, and it's got all these animals, the hoopoe, the bat, the, you know, the, the mole, you know, all these things that he's not supposed to eat. And God says, hey, kill and eat. <laughs> and Peter's like, man, I'm a good Jew. I wouldn't do that. God says, hey, what I've called clean, don't call unclean. Or don't un- call unclean what I've called clean. Under the new covenant, listen. God has cleansed those things. Our defilement does not come from what goes into our mouth. You're not going to be more spiritual if you start following these dietary things. We, come, we become defiled by what comes out of our hearts. And that's what we need to deal with. And the thing is, that's where Jesus Christ comes in. Because Jesus Christ can make you, make the unclean clean. He can transform your, he doesn't get, he doesn't like fix your heart and clean your heart. He gives you a new heart. And so we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and so I'm thankful. I mean, there's some things I would definitely, you know, I'm not going to go out and eat a bat or a seagull or, you know, I'm not going to eat worms. Hopefully I've never have. I might have by mistake, but, you know, I'm not going to eat those things. Um, but praise God we're not under those requirements. I love bacon, by the way. I love bacon. So pork, that's, you know, anyways. All right. Hey, why don't you stand up?